Hello everybody, here we are on a bright sunny day and uh, this is edition 152 of the Frankenstein chat and uh, for those watching on video you'll see that we have a guest with us, uh, Shaheen Myers. Hello Shaheen. Hi, hi Frankenstein. We'll get to uh, we'll get Shaheen to introduce herself in a minute. Um, but Stan, we always kick off with how are you this morning? Uh, a bit up and down because I'm full of a cold that I can't seem to shake off. Um, but it's my birthday, so I've got to be happy and uh, birthday edition. I've, I've had breakfast with my grandson's family and and then dashed back here to do this. Oh, fabulous! Yeah, <laughs> well, it's quite special, isn't it? No, was your grandson with you? This time last year. Well, it's actually the anniversary of the date we were told it might happen. Right. So, so the first time we knew. Just to explain, it's a is um, an adoption. So exactly twelve months ago today, we were told that they could start the process, and there was this this child that we could uh, we could they, they could. They could. Yeah, it's been a long time, and it's been a long journey, and and not at all easy an easy journey for them. But it's fantastic, and there's nothing better than uh, he stayed with us the other week. It's the best alarm clock, even if it is half past five in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) A smiling child. I feel for you, Stan. I I was saying with my grandson, it's a six o'clock start, regardless of the time of bedtime. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Shaheen, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself and just give us a little summary of your career so far and the, and the work you're doing at the moment? Of course, yeah, that's fine. Um, just say happy birthday to Stan. Um, I'm very <laughs> honoured that you left your birthday <laughs> breakfast to come and <laughs> chat. Um, so, yes, I'm Shaheen Myers. I've uh, been in education system now for over 20 years. Um, started off as a teacher in a very, very large special measures school. So it was a, a four formentary junior school when I first started, um, quite a lot of us in NQTs. Um, so I've been in quite a few um, maintained schools and um, worked my way up, but solidly based myself into teaching and learning really to really hone in that skill and craft before I took on leadership posts. And um, I went on to um, lead in schools, the lead key stages and these subjects as many teachers do. And then I um, became an assistant head and then moved on to head of school at uh, Cub Academies Trust. And it kind of really grew from there in terms of the leadership exposure and experience. Um, and then worked in a central team for the large mat, um, working supporting head teachers and um, delivering some MPQs, supporting ECTs on their journey, uh, delivering some training across the trust. And then I um, got the role of deputy director a couple of years ago for Leeds. Um, so it's kind of been quite a steep and yeah. um, quite a quick rise really into that. Um, but I think what was great about joining Leeds is that they were very they're very outward facing local authority and very keen to get in that school expertise and in terms of the relational approach that the council has I think it's been very very welcomed by the city that we have somebody who has come from the school system themselves into a role that is overseeing and supporting and serving really um, um, the education capacity so I think that's 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 been great so that's where I am at the moment 
yeah. <laughs> um, before I start on a, on a new venture. But um, so, do we need to say uh, all di- uh, directors, children, services, watch out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, I mean, it's because um, I think that one of the things when we we worked together for a while, um, the great thing is being able to go around and visit loads of places, you know, and to sort of see some of the issues that are emerging. I mean. I'm thinking, what was the sort of great, you know, drawing on that, what was the sort of some of the challenges you faced when you took on this sort of senior role in a in a city, a northern city? I mean, were there some things you, that caught you out or bits that you relied on more than you thought you were going to? I think it's, it's, it's any leadership post, isn't it? It's knowing that you can't, you don't know everything and that you're not the front of all knowledge. And it's the strength of the teams that you have around you. So I'm very fortunate and lucky to have a learning improvement team and a, an ascent team, a learning inclusion team who are in and amongst the city. So really it's all for me was to do the strategic work. So what I think was challenging was to potentially marry together what we know is happening in the city, so the school-based knowledge and experience that I brought from the sector to what the local authority processes are. And how can we marry those two together that actually we do have a fantastic model out there in the city? And whilst there's so many strengths to build on, I think one of the aspects is that each academy, so it's 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 it's, it's bringing them up to speed that everybody has their own development plan and the local authority development plan will look very, very different as a result of that. So I think it was bringing everybody to speed and understanding that we're not here, we don't have the levers any, any more that we used to have in the local authority to have a level of influence on how people shape their curriculum once upon a time potentially or results or as I say it's all of those sort of processes so it was um it was a steep learning curve I think for everybody involved so that we developed a a a learning strategy for the city that was very much about the service very much about the local authority is delivering to the city as opposed to this is the vision for the city. Please yeah. go out and achieve it in your schools and academies because they're already doing that work. So what can we do to complement and supplement and, and and probably bolster some of the work going on already? So that, that I think, has been really welcome, but was an, an initial stumbling block blocking yeah. people's perceptions and understanding of what, how it all works. So I think it's that bringing together of the system, I suppose, has been uh, challenging, but uh, goodness me. It's 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 an enormous role, but it's very 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 it's rewarding. But also, I've learned so much more because it's safeguarding. It's all social care, and then my and education will work as a conduit together. And it's the, the learning has been steep. Yeah, yeah I imagine. Stan, Stan, you've just reminded me of something. When I first became an advisor in, in a large local <laughs> authority. The uh, the head of service was was giving a speech, and I was sort of a naive new advisor. And in in his speech, he said that the the development plan, the authority's development plan, was something that all schools would be looking at to develop their own school development plans. So I laughed because I thought he was having a joke. <laughs> and the room went quiet, and he said, "What well, what's funny, Stan?" I said, "Well." I thought you were joking. Why would I, as a head of, of a school that hasn't got an issue with reading, be worried about the local authority? Right. <laughs> don't connect up. Yeah. It's the last thing I would look at before I, right. I'd got my school development plan. One of the things that I'm, um, I, I think, I'm not struggling with it, but I'm sort of aware of the challenge 
more so now because of some work I've done, is in one of the local authorities I'm working with, there is a very clear sort of industrial regeneration economic plan for the town. And in in the town, there are a mixture of multi-academy trusts and, and maintained schools. But actually, there's a real risk here that if there isn't enough flex in the curriculum delivery, that actually we could end up with all the opportunities that are coming into the town actually not going to the people who live in the town, but yeah. those who live outside the town who come up and sweep up some of these sort of great opportunities. So it's sort of, I don't know, you know, the levers that used to be there within the local authority, shall we say, you know, have now sort of disappeared a little bit, perhaps less so in Leeds where there's lots of maintained schools still. But where I'm, what I'm looking at is a real sort of patchwork of influence really that we've got. I'm having to, it's not a very sort of clear picture as to how, how do you actually ensure that one multi-academy trust does actually play the game and does actually bend and flex in order to deliver. So I think in terms of, you know, um, levelling up, in terms of how you regenerate and get a better economy coming through from education, I think we've created a little bit of a, a much more complicated setup, which makes it more difficult to have those sorts of influences. And I think that's why, we'll get onto it in a minute, why Ofsted is seen as sort of quite a, a useful tool, because it's sort of... The government can say, well, I can cut through all of this, just deliver it through an inspection framework, mm. you know? Yeah. But I, th I think, Frank, I mean, it may have changed in the last four years or so, but certainly the DfE didn't understand the the levers that were and weren't available because um, when I was head of school improvement, I used to get calls from the DfE telling me about complaints that I needed to deal with for academies. And I'd say, well, that's, that's nothing to do with us. That That's yours. No, no, it's it's in your local authority. Yes, but it's an academy. So it's not our, it's not our responsibility. And they, they just didn't, they didn't get that. It, well, the, the, all of these chats, they all remind me of little stories that I've forgotten about. Because I remember the Department for Education contacting, no, it was, yeah, Department for Education contacting me to say, would I speak to a school? I, I have no idea who they were. Um, who actually are a cooperative school, nothing to do with the cooperative that I was engaged with, but a school that allegedly had cooperative. And they were having problems with the um, them paying their finances, right? There was a problem. So would I speak directly to the co-op bank about a school somewhere else I'd had no knowledge of at all, nothing about, but could I lean on the cooperative bank to actually do something about it? I'm thinking... What? <laughs> you were able to do that. Right? You, you have got absolutely no idea. That, that apart from the fact that you know, all this sort of relationship between the cooperative bank, the co-op co schools, or, yeah, but you have no idea what you're doing. And I think there is times I've found recently where colleagues, you know, you have contact with colleagues from the department and actually they have very little knowledge about the areas that they're dealing with, you know, so you keep quiet now, Shaheen. But honestly, you know, it's a real struggle at times, you know, just to cut through all this. But anyway, let's, I'm just about to say. That, that sort of crops up with, with uh, what Shaheen's been telling us is that induction is really, really important because I've seen people, very successful heads, been moved into local authorities 
and not understand how local authorities work and and that then is a car crash it really is a car crash when you say you know for instance well what do members you know have you informed members who yeah. <laughs> have, have you, do the members know that you are proposing to do this well who, who are they and why should you know whoa let's just roll back a bit from uh, from way what you're proposing now and let's just talk you through the systems that you need to go through in the local authority it's not quite like headship no, no. well we, we're going to get on to austin i think um because yes. this relates also to not every head teacher makes a very good austin inspector um but and, it, uh, and it'd be good if there were actually some more head teachers who were good austin inspectors um but anyway that seems to be in short supply at the moment but anyway um Stan, what's caught your eye this week? Well, it, it is about Ofsted, but it was a, a tweet that, that a head teacher put out saying yesterday schools throughout the, the country would be celebrating at 12 o'clock when they hadn't had the call, which meant they got through another half term. And it just, one, it made me think that the pressures that everybody's under in education is not helped by that. But secondly, um, we've had a couple of schools recently that have had let's say unhappy inspections not disastrous but but not where they they could be uh, and in both cases i i rang the school to make sure the head was okay because um it's not part of the duty but it's it's something that i think we should be thinking about uh and it struck me that sometime later when one of the heads was talking to the advisor that they were in tears not because of the, they got over the anger of the inspection, but the fact that somebody had bothered to ring them to mm. say, and are you okay? And I think it's something that colleagues, maybe other heads, should be thinking about when they're in networks, whether they're in maps, whether they're in maintained schools, that actually one, once you've heard somebody's had a rough inspection, just just to make sure that they're okay, a phone call just to say, I know you'll be angry, I know things weren't done properly, but it's not quite the end of the world. Are you okay? And are you okay with yourself? Yeah, I think it's that could make a significant difference. I think. I think that it's relates to something confidentiality and everything else. Yeah, I do think that needs to be thrown away. I think you should be able to say the day after the feedback, yes, this yeah. is what's happened. Well, they say it's. The, I mean, it's a provisional judgment, isn't it? I mean, all of these are. Assigned. Okay. Well, we've had the provisional judgment. The chief inspector, but it's a provisional judgment at this stage. Yeah. yeah. They're worried, I though. How, sorry, I think it's how we capture the feedback, really, because I know an inspection. You will constantly, throughout your different interviews, you will ask how how things are going. But in terms of um, some sort of way of of of, of generalising from that, it's just simple comments now. I think when we're asking head teachers how they're feeling du- during the process, how confident they feel to be able to articulate exactly how they are feeling and how willing are we to listen as inspectors that there is there's going to be some head teachers who will be feeling quite anxious about mm. it. And what do we do as a consequence of that? But also, how do we make sure and ensure that after that, the, the, the inspection's done, on that very last day, when we have the feedback session, that we have some way of having a uniform way of generalising and taking that feedback that um, has in there that, that you know, if we're keen on making it more humane, we need to take the feelings into account. So how can we capture that in a way that will allow our head teachers and leaders to feel confident 
um, in, in articulating that without the need or without the feeling that that's going to somehow impact on the outcome. And if it's negative, it won't be taken into consideration. So I suppose it's how do we build that? And I know I've seen, I think, just building, sorry, Sam, just building on something that you said, I've seen a call for um, an imp- independent review body of complaints, Rob said. Yes. Because actually, how do we, we, I think, Frank, you've said this to me um, a while ago, then it's always stuck with me, how you can't quality assure your own work. Yeah. So how do you, how do you quality assure your own complaints? When it's internal, so what what can we do to ensure that the level of accountability and scrutiny is placed in an independent, impartial way that has the best interests of hearts of who the complainants are? And and I think that's that's something that we do need to to really consider. Yeah. It's worse than that in a way because you can't see the evidence either. Right. If you can, and I, I do know of a school that's in a live complaint situation. The complaint's actually about the conduct of the inspector. But Ofsted have said, well, you can't complain until you've got the report. So we won't read your your complaint until we've published the report, and then we'll read your complaint, and that may then affect the final report. Well, why not take <laughs> the complaint into into account now? <laughs> Stop all that nonsense in between. It's interesting. Um, I remember um, many, many years ago when I uh, first became an HMI, visiting a an independent inspection an independent school inspection and i'm not sure whether this happens now but the opening section of the report was sort of like a one pager from the school that just positioned the school in terms of its journey when this inspection took place and i felt that it it, it, i didn't read sort of you know this inspection report isn't accurate whether it's more focusing on these sort of dips and troughs and you know where you know it was in effect saying it was fortunate last time inspection took place because we were really on a high but we've had a few changes of staff and you know we're we're we're, we're building up again you know I, I i would love to hear to see something that allowed schools uh to to position themselves in their cycle of improvement and 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 clearly state you know some of the factors that we raised with inspectors because we knew that these were things that they were going to discover you know Last year, we lost a, a, a head teacher been here 20 years. You know, well, it's going to take the new head a year or two to sort, you know, to get into the flow of it. But mm-hmm. we haven't. We've got a sort of cut and paste, you know, sort of a template I, that I doesn't say anything, that. really. When we used to do inspect, I know it's a long time ago, it was a different frame, and all those excuses, but I used to be really, I felt really important that we got it right. Mm. So I would ask, I used to ask the head, when it had all been done, we'd done the feedback, done the report, I used to say, do you think we got it right? And I can't honestly remember a school where they said, no, you haven't. But, you know, even though you give them really tough messages when you're saying we've put in the school in the category, have we got it right? Well, yeah, you know, you've... you've, mm-hmm. And that's, that's really important because if a school says, no, you've actually got it all wrong, I would want to then re-look at the whole evidence base before yeah. I wrote the report to say... Mm-hmm. How how have we got this wrong? And com- confirm with myself that we were we were right. Yeah. I think it's a level of consistency um, in practice mm. that people find difficult. And the phrase "not is without fear and favour." So when you are inspecting, you park everything that you know at that door, and you <laughs> use that school with that with an objective sort of view. And I suppose that that part of it, it, it can be it can be difficult. Um, and that's when people are calling out inconsistencies in practice. 
Um, but when I think a question that I I think we should ask within that, I mean, it's about perspective, isn't it, really? Mm. And if it's a rigid framework, we can't be doing the computer says no. We have to have flex in that system. And that yeah. was all about your leadership, acumen, knowledge, skills and expertise um, and how you draw that in terms of what you're seeing on the day within that school. But the question that I always ask is, can school do any better given the circumstances? Can it do any better? Mm. When you can, if you can answer, yeah, actually they can, then you start to sort of form, well, what, where am I going to go with this? What else do I need to look at? And if they can't, and then if they can't, they're doing the best that they can, then actually you've already, some of your formulations already happened. Mm. Yeah. And, well, and I... it's difficult to get that level, I think, of consistency. Yeah. Um, and I And I do believe that having... Um, serving inspectors is definitely a must, but it goes back to your point. I mean, serving head teachers um, as inspectors, yeah. yeah. Serving as, uh, um, um, head, head teachers. teachers. I do believe that, but I do believe that induction, and I think Stan, you mentioned that in terms of coming into the local yeah. authority, the induction for inspectors into sorry, head teachers into into the spectrum needs to be far more thorough. I would say just to enable there to be some leveling out of that inconsistent practice. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's just that's from head teachers. It's just that we're coming to it from a different perspective. We've not come from the inspectorate um, itself. Uh, we're uh, coming into yeah. it. Something Frank used to do, and I I embarrass him by saying this is this might might be the only thing that ever impressed me with, with Frank when he was the <laughs> inspector. But he used to ask it. Realised I was coming on here just to be slagged off. <laughs> this is a compliment, Frank. Oh yeah, oh, of course I, it is. This yeah. is where I thought you. No, I'm waiting for the sting it, in the tail. Right, there wasn't one because he used to say at, at say the the either the first or second team meeting. Right, is the school plumbing along doing nothing? Is it plummeting or is it on its way up? Wherever it is now, which of those directions is it going? And it made all the team think. Well, yeah, actually, we we might be saying attainment's not where it is, but but this school isn't dipping; it, it it's on the up. So it changed the characteristics of what the team were looking for, because by day two you've got an overview of the school, and it was really important that everybody sort of saw the same picture and and once we established what that picture was it made a difference to how you inspected on the rest of the thing and I, I remember Frank being really really angry about people who didn't get that and also um when this sounds a bit weird when when you as an, a team inspector which I was under Frank a couple of times uh banging on about something that isn't really relevant to this school's position and he would say, you know, I know that, I get it, you you you're right, but but that's that's not going in the report yeah. because it, it it won't make a difference to the school, but it might put them off doing what they need to do. So, you know, the key issues are going to be the key issues, not just the things that you've spotted. And that was that was strong leadership and also right for the schools. Right, Frank, I'm not complimenting you again now. Um, well I think done. the thing for me was around I mean because it, it gets a bit I mean, in a way, Shane, we might get on to what's caught your eye this week in a minute, but because we've got to be careful, we're nearly on 30 minutes already. But the thing is, is that I think it's this sort of the flow which we talked before, you know, this idea that improvement uh, school journeys are a constant line upwards. You know, I mean, we, 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 I, I think that the most disappointing inspectors are those that where they reveal, I think, a lack of, uh, understanding about what the journey of leadership and management is is they can't accept that things haven't actually worked out 
as well as everybody wanted. And that wasn't down to factors often that were related to the performance of the senior managers or the governors. This is, you know, circumstances have got in the way of this, you know, and I think the recovery from uh, what the schools did during COVID and all that outreach and the inspector basically pushing it under the carpet as if that had no bearing whatsoever on the life and journeys of these schools, I think was the gravest mistake that the inspector has made in the last probably 10 years. Because for me, you know, we should be really embracing that work and saying that's a really good starting point for a shaping a different type of education or vision for the country. One which really values educators uh, who do much more than just educate the children. And we completely lost it. You know, and I think that head teachers were right to be up in arms about that. And I think it also reveals the fact that we have an inspectorate where I don't think there are sufficiently positioned, there aren't sufficient recent head teachers positioned in the hierarchy in the inspectorate who could actually lean on the, that decision because that was a wrong decision and probably driven by the government also wanting to move on, you know, because they're at that stage told Sir Kevin Collins that we're not going to invest £15 billion in a recovery plan. You know, all of this is is where it's all being played out. And I think we're reaping now the the effects of that uh, catastrophic decision that was made. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's been an, an incredible fallout. Uh, and one element of that is the level of faith that, uh, that leaders now have in in, in um aspects of leadership that they're looking for in terms of guidance and support uh and there's certainly i would say a disconnect uh, i don't think we had the necessary risk appetite during covid or have looked at post-pandemic recovery in enough detail to think that we need to do things differently or that we need an injection of funding and support and that would happen if our risk appetite was so secure direct correlations between um we t- it takes 10 years and you look at any sort of natural uh, uh, national disaster 10 years to come out of that and we don't have the mechanism or the funds around what will a 10-year recovery look like for us and so by year two it's right you're out of a pandemic now post-pandemic recovery back to normal well what does that look like and and, and i think in terms of just coming to the to what's captured my eye is the recruitment and retention. These are the contributing factors to us not retaining the, uh, our workforce, and we rely on them so heavily. So, I think what we've done is there is um, the goodwill, the goodwill of the education system. We have always relied on nationally, and that goodwill is running out. And it, and it, and if we don't help and support it and put that supportive mechanism around it, whether it's offset, DFE, local funds, anybody, we don't put that around it. There's nowhere for our leaders to go. Mm. And 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 they then we have to rethink their choices that they make. And these are fantastically, fantastically good, good leaders that we need to retain and teachers. So I think we do need to do a 360 and audit really what is it, what's it, what would the profession look like going forward post pandemic for at least 10 years and then have a, a plan accordingly. Um, to do, to mitigate against that the risk that we are now facing, where we are not able to recruit to um, head teacher roles, which were seen as so attractive uh, a few years ago, but but mm. no longer attractive. Yeah, well, it's funny because the point I wanted to make this year, what's caught uh, this week, what's caught my eye was around how schools are recruiting staff, and I know that there are problems 
all over the place, got high levels of vacancies, loads of re-adverts going into various newspapers and whatever. But I did some work in um, one local authority to look, and I looked at every local, every vacancy that exists in that town. And what struck me was how varied the approaches were. Um, some were really out there that spent, obviously spent a lot of time thinking about how are we going to attract people to our school? It perhaps doesn't look as attractive, you know, seaside town. Um, we've not got a great Ofsted. You know, all these things made those uh, schools think very carefully about what are we going to say? How are we going to do it? Um, to others who were quite sort of, I don't know, blasé is probably not the word, but they, they basically put the advert up, linked to a very short job description, and then here's the application form. And and it really struck me how varied that was. And uh, in a way, in a, in a market where there are loads of vacancies, you know, you've got to look at being creative and perhaps do things differently. So, um, you know, I I, uh, I was suggesting things like simple things like the number of schools that are not using the DfE's free vacancy website is staggering. Mm. You know, it costs nothing. But so few schools are using it, and and so many schools are still using the TES. You know, um, it's it's you know it, that for me shows us as it's more signals a sort of lack of sort of a reflection really in terms of you know what's likely to work and what's likely not to work. And my last thing before I finish, I remember somebody said to me when I was in the co-op, um, there are loads of teachers in Northern Ireland who who have been trained who can't find work. So I went over with the head of HR and the comms manager over to Northern Ireland for the day to just talk to teachers. And, and there are the one thing that they, they, they want to stay in Northern Ireland. They do. Um, and I understand the reasons for that. But actually things like giving them um, a flight back at Christmas, Easter and the summer was just beginning to sort of think about how do we get people to come to places which are difficult to recruit to and, and other things like um giving them loans mm. for you know rental loans you know because they were coming from say northern Ireland, where housing's relatively or rentals are relatively cheap to an area like say manchester you know they needed help and but there's just not been that sort of creative thinking around how we recruit you know in in, in these places I'd, I'd say so frank with with adverts as well because you have some innovation and it's, it's going back quite a few years ago where somebody started putting, this is what we have to offer. We have children who are keen to, and then everybody took that, that model. And so every advert with <laughs> a list of, of, of things, you know, excited children, blah, 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 blah. And, and we did some work recently on developing cultures. And we looked at one of my favorite leaders, um, Shackleton, and his advert for getting people to basically risk death to try and get to the, the South Pole. And this is his advert as it was written. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. And he was oversubscribed <laughs> to people. And we talked about schools, instead of instead of saying this is what we offer, say this is what we believe in these are our values this is what we think is important and if you agree with us then you're more likely to fit into our culture 
and 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 help us on our journey wherever the school's going yeah. than you are just applying for a job so yeah. tell people what you believe in and what's important and we had one school completely rethink its advert and at a time when it was hard to recruit people had a massive intake of of obviously uh, applications simply because it was different and it appealed to to people who who held their values very close to themselves. So if you see somebody advertising the same values you believe in, it's much more of a of an attraction to say, you know, I might just have a look at that. Shaheen, you're gonna say? I was I just gonna ask that really. I think it's it's making your adverts as personable as possible so that you're giving you're giving a flavour of who you are. But you also I think need to be mindful of who you're trying to attract. So in, in, in terms of EDI, what you need to really hone in now is actually we are welcoming you for who you are into mm-hmm. this. And if you can match the values, and we, this is about these are the values we believe in, this is our vision, I, I and and do that in a way that is so inclusive, you're likely to, to attract that. So we need to say you're right, the adverts do need to stand out. And it, I think it's just that personable approach that, mm-hmm. that we can take. And um there's there's some wonderful things now qr codes that you can add to an application and that just brings everything else to life now as well so you don't have to have the big packs or booklets or whatever you have for for an advert just a qr code um and i've seen people do videos of schools as well so individual schools if you're an academy trust you can have a quick just quick tour via a pupil on a video and i think that's fantastic but we do innovative it's funny, I was at a heads meeting last week and I said, because uh, we have a guest called Graham Potts. He's, he's a, I don't remember if you remember Graham, he's the head of Cardinal Newman in Oldham. Um, and he's, uh, I think he's De- Vice Lord Lieutenant for Manchester, I think. But, but anyway, he, he, he has, um, he basically does a daily blog into, it takes about a minute onto his phone, puts it on the school site, you know, and he has a problem with, um, taxi drivers who park in the um, car park. So he, he basically goes out with his phone and says, look, this is what we had to face this morning. And he goes like that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that, di- you know, I, I, for me, I just look at those videos and think it's not flash. It's just life, isn't it? And he's a, he looks a really good bloke. You know, I'd, I'd like to work for Grand Potts, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, Okay, well, that's the end of uh, the 152nd edition. Um, but we do normally ask our guests, and I might catch you out here, Shane, because we didn't mention this before. Is there one thing that you would perhaps want to change in education? Um, one thing, Frank, one thing. One. <laughs> I've got at least a handful. No, I would say uh, I would, I think we do need to think about how we support the mental health and well-being of our school staff. I think that it should be mandatory in schools. We have um, a wealth of support for pupils and children, young people. But what do we actually have that will support and retain a workforce that feels quite depleted at the moment? And how do we how do we have that duty of care? So for me, that would be that would be absolutely mandatory. It would be part of the part of the offer, but so embedded. I think for me, it's national policy. It's simply national policy enough to make sure that that it is a given, um, um, as the Equality Act is given. Really, then let's let's make sure that that there is an act that that actively supports so that we don't see um, any um, repeat of what, what tragically happened to a ferry. Yeah. yeah, I think what we've got to do in that because I, I work with schools that, that have a really good um, 
mental health for staff and pupils, but the one person who organises it all, or the top <laughs> yeah. two or three people who organise it all, nobody looks after there. Yeah. And um, you speak to them and they say, I'm, I'm fine, because the you can't get under that, that that skin straight away. You have to have a longer conversation and a better relationship before you can you get under that. But I think that's got to be part of any national scheme. It's it's gonna to have to be the governors or the board or the mat that have to have fairly robust systems for making sure that their school leaders in in, in the senior leadership teams are supported as well. Mm. not seen as their job to support everybody else well um i really thank you so much for joining us shaheen um a great chat um and actually we've been it's been an hour um chatting even though it's only 40 minutes of the recording but uh, it's been a really enjoyable hour so thank you so much for joining us and and we have um another guest joining us uh, next week um and then we have a, a week off because uh uh frank's off to ibiza with the family so uh, we're gonna have a, a week's rest so uh anyway so look forward to seeing everybody uh next week and enjoy the bank holiday uh, the weather looks fine so hopefully um we'll be out and about so take care everyone Bye-bye. bye bye bye